hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. And I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 98, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm not the one who's got a little tiny gremlin trying to break out of their skull, so that makes my <laughs> life a little easier. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I'm, I'm used to pain. Well, yeah, fair, fair. I, I <laughs> didn't realize you were a, a masochist, but... Uh, <laughs> no, just my body trying to kill me. Well, I mean, if I'm not there to do it, someone has to take up the cause. Exactly. So it may as well be me because he's going to do it better. You understand. I do. Well, once you get on my level with the heroic doses of drugs, I think you'll be fine. There you go. You were sharing with me your uh, passion for uh, medication. Um, I was going to ask you, how are you doing, though? You had an unsettling moment in your neighborhood this week. Did I ever? Yeah. So my neighborhood, as I've mentioned before, is is James Bay. And uh, I've lived here the entire time I've been in Victoria, so 13 years now. And it's the oldest neighborhood in Victoria. I did not know that. Yes, it is. Well, during the course of the pandemic, the the neighborhood has changed, and you know part of that is I just think you know the streets are emptier because people are just not out, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the evening. But mm-hmm. I've really noticed it in the last few months. You know, I, uh, I I sometimes chat to the local, you know, some of the homeless guys and and the guys who collect bottles. It's a good way to kind of take the temperature of the neighborhood. And something that has repeatedly come up is this tent city that has sprung up in Beacon Hill Park. And uh, it's, you know, a lot of homeless folks have kind of set up shop there during the pandemic. And that in and of itself isn't bad. You know, people got to live somewhere. But what seems to happen at these 10 cities, and and I I know this because um, Nikki worked next to another one for quite a while there a couple of years ago, is that, well, and I don't have to tell you what, a sort of a criminal element Mm -hmm. often moves in. Yeah. And things change. And uh, that has definitely happened. You know, I... um, I was out for, and as you mentioned, I was out for a walk and I was over by the park. I, I normally don't get too close to it at night, but it was about 11 o'clock. I thought, well, it's not that late. And I, I just needed to stretch my legs. I just needed to get some steps in, get a walk because I, you know, spend so much time inside these days. And as I was coming back, I saw this, well, person, I guess, but it looked like a thing coming toward me on the sidewalk. And the best way I can describe it is it looked like... You know those those big dragons on Chinese New Year? Yeah, yeah. With many yeah. people it, it kind of operating yeah. each part of it and they sort of shake side to side. Sure. It looked like that. It was a, a guy hunched over, his face obscured, with what looked like a zebra print jacket or wrap or poncho. And Ooh. he was kind of duck walking in this sort of zigzag pattern and shaking the same way those those dragons do. It does not sound like a good omen. No, it was genuinely unnerving. I, I yeah, it would be because it would be. I saw him coming from about a half a block away, and I couldn't figure out what I was looking at. You know, because I kind of went through that's not right to oh maybe that's just some you know little old lady shuffling up to the bus stop <laughs> to okay no that's really not right. Yeah, something's very very wrong here. <laughs> yeah, and and I suspect he was probably high as hell on something, like the guy yeah. who punched my car about five years ago. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, just high as balls on something. And uh, yeah. so I crossed the street to, you know, to avoid having to interact with this person. And to my dismay, they crossed the street as well. And for a little bit, this 
thing, again, I never saw his face, or this man, I should say, I never saw his face. But, or person. Or person, yeah. But, but he just kept doing this weird hunched over duck shimmy and following oh, me for a little bit. And then abruptly stopped, turned around, and went back the other way. Oh, it was just, boy. yeah, it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. And so I thought, well, now's a good time to go home. <laughs> Who needs ghosts when people can scare the shit out of you? Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. That said, even though we, we don't need ghosts to be scared, we sure like them. And this time around, I'm really, really excited to present the episode that we have because for, I want to say, the better part of six months, if not longer, uh, mostly during the entirety of Turducken, we've been doing listener story shows. And yeah, they're yeah. wonderful. As we've said before, we love sharing the stories our listeners send into us. But, you know, we built the, the show, our show, on episodes centered around topics. Right. And you, do you remember last year? I mean, I mean many things have changed, yeah. but last year we're like, we're going to be more international next year. And then the world shrunk. The best laid plans of mice and Bren. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a while. And I think I want to say the last original episode we did was episode 89 doppelganger country. So maybe, maybe it wasn't as far back as I thought. I thought it had been Oh, okay. Than that. Okay. That's not no, so that, bad. Oh, well, that's July. So I guess that was a while ago. But like I said, I mean, best laid plans because the world suddenly changed around us. Yeah, so that that's it. And you do what you can. We have, again, some really fantastic stories that uh, some of them are, are touching and some are just scary as hell. And what's really cool is just like our Philippines episode, A Star right. in a Dark Night, the stories that Luke found for Poland are so very Polish. You know, right, they, they right. have, they, they bear a really strong sort of, most of them at least, a, a very strong cultural tie. You know, they're, they're connected to the country's history. They're connected to right. its forests, which I, I didn't realize were, were such a part of the, their national identity. But uh, yeah, th there's some really great stuff and I'm really looking forward to sharing it. No, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to reading them. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with The Haunting of Poland. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we are going to be telling stories about the haunting of Poland. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I learned, Poland is really freaking haunted. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very, very old place. And I've always been fascinated by Eastern Europe. It's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? To me, at least. Yeah. yeah. I know uh, my former business partner went there to Lithuania, and he was really a fan of the place. He said it was very beautiful and very yeah, rich, rich in history, rich in culture. But uh, back to Poland, as we mentioned, it, it's a very, very haunted place, and it's also really rich in folklore. For this one, I'll fully admit I leaned on Luke for this, because doing his Luke Lore podcast now, which you can download everywhere podcasts uh, are found, his most recent one, uh, Lancashire is Haunted, and now So Are You. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was just released, and I know our patrons just got his most recent one, The Green Knight and Other Tales from the Highlands. Oh, okay. Which, yeah, if you're a patron, you get 30 days early at uh, patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. Oh, what, what was that? At Patreon, you say? Patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. But now that we're done shilling the, the Patreon, <laughs> Luke sent over some really interesting Slavic folklore. And I just want to share a couple little things. Mm -hmm. and these will be, for, I believe, from upcoming Luke Lores. 
One of them was Vivampesh. And now you're going to hear us struggle a lot with Polish words in this episode. Because <laughs> neither of us are Polish. <laughs> yep. Literally the closest I've come to Poland is uh, parts of Chicago. Oh, I had a Poroski once. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure he was very nice. <laughs> That's a pierogi. I don't think we can call them that, Ian. Oh, my God. <laughs> According to Luke, yeah, Poland has the legends of the Vampesh. And that is basically the living dead, you know, v- vampires, essentially. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legend says you can find them any number of ways, you know, physical deformities like curved spine or being born with teeth or having an animal jump over your fresh grave. I mean, oh, geez. I don't know. I, I like I know people with bad backs and they're not vampires. They're just in pain. <laughs> Come on, guys. But what's really interesting is how they stop them from coming back. Just, you know, just in case that that happens to be on your to do list. One way is to pile up rocks on top of the grave, which, you know, seems pretty simple, pretty, pretty basic. If we were shopping for coffins, that'd be the pine box of vampire prevention. Right, right. But the Cadillac of coffins for preventing the dead from rising, and and this is probably one of my favorite things ever, Mm -hmm. because there are things like stuffing their mouths with rocks or burying them face down to confuse them. Sure, that's great. But I like the sickle trap. Oh, that sounds bad. Yeah. So, well, it, it would be if you were getting up as a vampire and preparing to face the world, you would sit up. And a sickle would be set up so that the moment you rose, it would just cut your head off. Oh, wow. Well, I suppose that's going to take care of it. In a word, yes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Imagine in a time when people were less great at telling when folks were dead. Yeah. And you wake up, you're buried alive, and you think, oh, Jesus, they buried me. Well, at least I can get out of here. And there he goes. Yeah. Game over. It's over. The Victorians at least buried you with a bell. I know that was brilliant. And did you know the the French had um, houses of the dead? And basically, you sat in a in a booth in the middle of this round room, and all the dead were feet first, pointing at this round this booth in the round room. And that person's job was to look for signs of life. Oh, really? Yes. The more you know. And knowing is half the battle. GI Joe. <laughs> And there was just one more piece of of folklore I wanted to share. And this is actually something that we have showed before on our dark art series over on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And if you follow us over on Instagram, and if you don't, why don't you? We're at The Ghost Story, guys. Every Friday at four o'clock, we post a different piece of folklore art from Wanda Fraser. And there's been some really, really brilliant stuff. There was the Nakalavi, the Banshees, the Green Knight, or the Elfin Knight, rather, was the most recent one. And one of the uh, ones I'd never really heard of that Wanda dropped on us was the Peroniac. Mm. And I'm, again, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It sounded convincing. Well, thank you. I, you see, I, that's all that matters, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like when I used to score free coffee from hotel lobbies. And you just walk in looking like you, know, like you belong there. That's how, that's how I use bathrooms the same, same way. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Yep. Walk in like yep. you know what you're doing. Yeah. I will say that one of the great tragedies of the pandemic is it is really hard to find a public washroom. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. And it wasn't easy downtown Victoria anyway. But the legend of the Proniac seemed to have grown up around the idea of protecting uh, pregnant women and newborn kids. Mm-hmm. Because the way the Proniac works is, as Luke puts it here, should tragedy befall a baby at any point before the six-week mark of personhood, including before birth and their body is not properly disposed of, then a dark and spiteful creature can result. The Peroniac, jealous of the life it never got to have and powerful from the wasted potential of a life unlived, would proceed to attack pregnant women and babies in the night to feed on their blood. 
Well. That is aggressive. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff in Slavic folklore that I do recommend you guys check out because it, it's really fascinating stuff. Uh, check out the Lucor podcast and check out some of the other folklore podcasts out there. There's some really, really good stuff. I don't have any of the other names to hand, I'm afraid, but I know there is a, a ton of folklore in Eastern Europe and we'll really only be scratching the surface of what they have to offer. Speaking of which, I, I guess we should just get to the stories. Let's jump on in. Our first story uh, is called Scars. As many of you know, Poland suffered greatly during the Second World War. The Nazi bombardment began on the 1st of September 1939, and by the 27th of the same month, Warsaw fell. We remained occupied until January 1945, and the cruelty inflicted on our people has left scars, both physical, mental, and yes, even spiritual, which remain almost 80 years later. I believe my story, brief as it is, to be one such example. When my friend Simon and I were boys, he would tell me ghost stories about the second floor flat where his family lived, and I loved to hear them, but never truly believed. After all, how could I believe that a phantom stagecoach being chased by an armed robber had passed by them of a night only to disappear? Or that phantom footsteps would be heard in their entryway, as if visitors had arrived, only for them to open the door and find no one there? Certainly, their apartment was above a schoolhouse, which had during the war been a Gestapo headquarters, but I was young enough to think such things had no long-lasting impact. My life since then has taught me otherwise. My sole experience in their house happened during one of many nights I stayed over, most of which were uneventful. This one night, however, had a little surprise in store. Zyman and I were up late, sometime around three in the morning and talking downstairs in the schoolhouse staff room. His mother was the principal and had keys. When we entered, he had locked the door from the inside, leaving them dangling from the lock, and as we spoke, my gaze drifted towards them. There were six keys on a dull silver ring, one key still in the lock, and five hanging below it. Suddenly, they started swaying. The motion increased as though someone was trying to work the lock from the outside. Sensing my distraction, Simon followed my gaze to the door where it now appeared as though someone were trying to enter. It never occurred to me that an intruder was trying to gain access to the school. Instead, I was certain this was my opportunity to finally see something paranormal, and so I leapt to my feet and raced to the door. The moment I reached it, the shaking stopped, and when we pushed it open, the darkened hallway outside was empty. No one was there, nor could they have been. Yet as we stood there, three rapid knocks came from just out of sight. We never determined what it was, but the experiences I have had since then have taught me that events can leave a stain on a place, and I believe the presence of the Gestapo in that little schoolhouse and the crimes they committed left a mark that will never fade, at least not in my lifetime. So I, I realize the storied history of Poland is going to make it really difficult to make jokes about certain things on the show. <laughs> I do. I do agree with with his theory, though, about that sort of thing, leaving a stain on a place 100 percent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it seems like that place may have had some activity even before the occupation. But right. uh, certainly, yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, 
you know, and having that kind of negativity play in a place can absolutely kind of fracture it and leave. Uh, well, and that kind of negativity and, and yet that pull between, you know, good and evil almost where, what a place of high tension for that, where people were inflicting horrible things on a group of people that had done nothing wrong. I just, I can't imagine it not leaving a mark, you know? No, no, that's it. And, and yet again, I find myself wanting to say, well, this is, at least this is in the past. Uh, however. Yeah, I know. Cough. Yeah. <laughs> Cough. Look away awkwardly. Circumstances keep testing me, Ian. Uh, I know. I hear ya. I hear ya. Possession. This happened during a sleepover at my friend Angelica's house during summer a few years ago. It's going to sound like a made-up story, but it's not. Our house was quite small, and Alina's father wasn't very nice, so when we had sleepovers it was always at Angelica's. Her family had a large house, and we got to have the basement to ourselves where we would play video games, talk, or whatever else we felt like doing. On this occasion we were awake talking around one in the morning, or as I like to call it, uh, roughly three quarters of the way through my day. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Just around that time you start thinking about winding down. Yeah, do I put a movie on? <laughs> you know how when you have sleepovers you hit a certain part of the night where you get a second wind? That had happened, and so we were wide awake despite the time of night. That's when I suggested we try hypnosis. It was something I had seen on TV, then spent a little time researching on the internet, so I thought maybe we could do it. I know it's silly, but we were young. Angelica had an interest similar to mine, so she decided she would be the hypnotist and I the subject. Lena was not a fan of the idea, but as long as she didn't have to do it, she was okay with watching. Lena, I too like to watch. Okay, you need to rein it in. <laughs> or I'm not letting you read any more stories about girls having sleepovers. Well, with that consequence hanging over me, I will, I will behave. <laughs> Good. Grudgingly. <laughs> I lay flat on the ground and Angelica started rubbing my temples and saying things like, you are getting very sleepy. And so of course I laughed. Angelica laughed too, but still hit my arm and told me to take it seriously. So I tried to stop goofing around and relax into it, which is when it happened. I blacked out. From awake to asleep like someone had thrown a light switch. When I came to, I wasn't on the floor anymore. Instead I was on the sofa and my friends were gone. I didn't know how long I'd been out, but I was annoyed they'd left me, and so I got up in search of them. I found them upstairs, talking to Angelica's dad, who was trying to calm them down. When I approached them, they almost looked afraid of me, but wouldn't say why. After they finally calmed, it was Lena who told me what happened. She said after the part where Angelica and I were laughing, I started shaking so badly they thought I was having a seizure. At first they assumed it was a joke, but I kept shaking until suddenly I began giggling in a terrible low voice. According to Lena, I spoke in a voice that was too deep to be my own, and I told them they were pretty little witches now, but one day they would all burn in hell with Angelica's grandfather, who had died a year before. According to Lena, Angelica thought I was faking and got angry, but when she tried to touch me, the voice, deep and slow like a man's, said that if she wanted to live, she would keep her hands to herself. Then, she said, I started shaking again, and when Lena reached out to touch me, I grabbed her arm and said in a horrible voice, your mother is sick. That finished them, and that's when they ran upstairs. I have no memory of this, but believe them because it changed our friendship. We're still in touch, but less close than we were, some of which I blame on the fact that Lena's mom was diagnosed with a serious illness long after this. I don't think I had anything to do with that, but still, Lena has treated me differently ever since. 
So now, when I was reading that one initially, I kind of wavered on it because it kind of sounds like, like a like kind of a game gone wrong, right? You know, where you start goofing around and saying shit, and then you're kind of invested, so you have to start saying shit, and it just gets darker and darker. I don't think so. I think she, you know, her friend was trying to uh, hypnotize her. Right. Being hypnotized means we open ourselves to suggestion. So my guess is she opened, she, she, okay, I'll take it seriously. She relaxed. She opened herself up and something that was probably there already saw it as an opportunity to just jump right in. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. You make a good point because I think we tend to get up in our heads about this, this idea there has to be so much uh, ritual to this stuff. Right. This one weird trick will make shamans hate you. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you don't think you can access any of this stuff without a bunch of, a bunch of preamble, but I guess right. if it's just as, as simple as getting yourself into the right headspace and relaxing into it. Well, and as we've talked before, if you're really depressed or you're really down, I think things can take advantage of that because your defenses are lower. And in this case, she deliberately lowered her defenses, like 100%. Right. So if there was something hanging around waiting to, and probably very attracted to the energy of young people, yep, probably allowed something in without even realizing it. Fuck, that's a terrifying thought, man. It really is. It really is. And it won't do good things for the hypnotherapy industry. <laughs> Again, they've been struggling heavily yeah, ever since. Right. You the, wake up, you've got half a goat in your mouth, and you're like, "God damn it! I just wanted to lose a little weight." Well, I, I told you that story about my last visit to Vegas in confidence. <laughs> We're just gonna have to cut all of this now. <laughs> the white wardrobe. For most of my childhood, the basement in our house was always a little strange. But my dad always told me that's just the way basements are, and I believed him. Our house was unremarkable. A townhome in a relatively modern complex in Roklaw, Poland, where the four of us, Mum, Dad, my older brother Joseph, and I lived comfortably. We were not a religious family, and apart from witches, something Joseph liked to threaten me with if I was being bad, I knew nothing about hauntings, ghosts, or certainly shadow people. That all changed one day when I went down to the basement to snoop in Joseph's room. Well, it wasn't snooping exactly. He had a collection of comic books, and one day when he was out with friends, I decided I wanted to read one of them. As I've said, his room was in the basement, and to get there, you descended the steps, which ended at a white wardrobe, then turned left down the hallway, and then left again into the first door. The basement lights were at the bottom of the steps, so you were always walking down into darkness, with only the lights behind you to light the way. And so eventually you got used to seeing your own shadow projected onto the white wardrobe. When I first descended the stairs on this particular day, my shadow was what I thought I was looking at against the bright white of the wardrobe, but it wasn't. Instead, the shadow in front of me was that of a full-grown man and moved independently of me. At first I was shocked and wondered if I was imagining it, but no. When I moved, my shadow moved, but this man's did not. At this point, it was almost as though it noticed me, and instantly it broke into a run, darting into my brother's room. The sudden movement terrified me, and I immediately bolted back up the stairs to my room, and it was weeks before I could go back to the basement, even with someone else. So, now I know we promised to stay away from politics in the show, but this has to be said, and in fact, really, this is going to sort of uh, form the next stage of my life. Uh Um, I am declaring open war on basements. (laughs) 
<laughs> no more will we be subject to the tyranny of being underground. It's not happening. Oh, and the place, my new place that I just got, guess what? Windowless basement. Cool. Well, I look forward to coming to your socially distanced, uh, well, funeral. They won't they won't know where your body is, but <laughs> you and I both know it'll be somewhere deep in the hell pits beneath your new home. Well, the funny part was all the other places we looked at had walkout basements and or a window. And so I just assumed. <laughs> and the realtor's like, no, this one doesn't even have a window. Mm, perfect. We I would like to choose pit. it. I would like to choose the one which has an experience closest to being dead. That's right. It's, do you have something tomb-like? I'm looking for... I see tombs. A lot of granite. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling very pharaoh-y. Yeah. Going through an Egyptian <laughs> phase. Can we Can we simply wrap me in the earth so that I may I just, never return? I should have said... I should have been like, can you show me something where the sunlight cannot reach? <laughs> yeah, that's right. See how she felt about that. With sufficient room to fit a box full of dirt from my homeland. Yes, but don't which ask me. For why. you would be Red Lobster, I guess. <laughs> right from the parking lot. <laughs> Just me in Red Lobster garbage. Yeah. Why does it smell like garlic and cheesy biscuits? <laughs> and really, really old lobster. Man, I miss Red Lobster. Ian. <laughs> I don't know why they're suddenly popping up on my feed, but they are showing me the cruelest pictures. Oh, of course. Oh, it's breaking my heart. And yes, Please. I do know you can buy the Red Lobster Biscuit Mix. I have seen it, but I got to tell you, it's not the same. No, it's true. It's not it's the not the same. No. It's like when you would buy like a, an Easy Bake Oven or one of those little Slurpee makers or those, they have oh, yeah. a treat thing you could get from, from um, Dairy Queen and you mix yep. up the mixes and yeah, no, it's not the same. We're no. kids. We're not stupid. No, that's it. Even as adults, you know, I, I was walking past someone's house the other day and they had what looked like a full-size Lamazaco, I think it is, espresso bar. Oh, yeah. And those things are several thousand dollars. Oh, yeah. And this guy was in there pulling shots and uh, and I thought, no, you're not fooling anyone, buddy. It's never going to taste the same as no. when someone else makes it for you. Exactly. It's you can a bit sit like in there, dinner, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just better when someone else makes it. <laughs> I remember fondly. You know, the, the first time I had endless shrimp at Red Lobster, Oh, I think it was in, I want to say Idaho or somewhere like that. And I, uh, I went in there and they told me it was endless shrimp. And I, I said, so what exactly does that mean? And I, said, oh, wow. <laughs> I need to know the parameters here. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's, let's hash this out before I'm disappointed here. Can, can we bring you a salad? What am I, a fool? Take your oh. greens away from me. <laughs> You're just trying to take up room that otherwise would have been occupied by shrimp. A hundred percent. But, oh my God, that moment, uh, there, there are a handful of moments in my life that I will remember until my consciousness finally blinks out. <laughs> my wedding day. <laughs> the time I saw the Pogues in Belfast. <laughs> And that night with the endless shrimp. In Idaho. I had a spiritual experience that night. Was it spiritual or was it more of some kind of overwhelming coma or some kind? Uh, I'd like to think it was all of those things. Okay. Okay. This is what binds us. The brotherhood of the lobster. <laughs> the brotherhood of the claw. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Cold. My story takes place at Christmas in the forest outside of Bydgoszcz, Poland. I was in the area to spend holidays with my family, and on that particular day nothing much was happening around the house, so a walk in the country seemed like just a thing. It was around 3 or 4 p.m. and a cool but not cold 5 degrees. The clouds hung low in the sky as I entered the forest, and very quickly I lost sight of it entirely, 
the canopy of trees blocking my view. Living in the city, you become disconnected from the experience of the forest, and returning to it, to the greenery and the birdsong, I felt my stress levels drop and a sense of calm begin to set in. Fool. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's how they get you. <laughs> After I'd been walking for 20 or so minutes, the temperature dropped drastically, and I felt the cold bite into me. My breath, only slightly steaming before, was now fully visible. I checked the app on my phone, which maintained the temperature had not changed, but my chattering teeth disagreed. As I refreshed the weather app to see if the reading changed, I noticed something else. All the birdsong and other forest ambience had simply stopped, as if I'd been placed into a bell jar. Something was wrong, but I couldn't say exactly what. In defiance of my opinion, the temperature on my weather app stayed at 5 degrees, and in annoyance I shut off the screen. Now the black glass in my hand showed only my reflection, lit by a muted winter sunset, and a white figure immediately behind me. Startled, I jumped away and turned to get a better look at whoever it was, but there was no one there. My enthusiasm for the forest was extinguished, and I ran <laughs> toward home. At one point during my homeward flight, I looked over my shoulder to see the figure again, calmly walking behind me. It appeared to be a young woman, in her late teens or early twenties, with medium-length curly hair and an out-of-style dress. Most distressingly, where her eyes should have been, there were only two dark holes. I ran faster. After exiting the forest, the temperature returned to normal, and by the time I got back to my parents' house, the whole thing seemed impossible, like a waking dream. Since then, I have replayed these events in my mind countless times, and I still have no explanation. I don't believe in ghosts, yet this happened. What did I see out there in the forest? I love when someone tells me, look, I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> However, something appeared behind me and I... I love when people say they don't believe in ghosts because I know that eventually something will catch up with them. I love it when the stories are prefaced with that. Yes. You know, this stuff is bullshit. However, a spirit woman uh, appeared behind me. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people have sent me or told me stories during the ghost walks. And they're like, well, I don't actually believe in this stuff, but here's what happened to me. <laughs> and you're yep. like, okay, well, you hold on to that because you're obviously under some kind of severe delusion then. Yeah, I, I don't get it. There's there's that real resistance to it. And there's that great line from, I think it's the Uninvited, a Haunted House movie from 44, which basically says that if you don't leave the door open a little bit for the paranormal, when it finally happens, it's just going to blow it right off the hinges. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's it, I think it's really true. I think it can really, really mess you up. It, it can. And, and I've seen it happen to people who are like, well, I don't believe in that stuff. And then they have an experience and they have zero context to put it in. Yeah. And that makes it even harder to deal with. So there, if you're sitting out there like, I don't believe in ghosts, eh, <laughs> maybe. Well, I guess if they're listening to us, they're leaving some wiggle true, room. So. True. They're leaving some wiggle room. And shout out to our skeptical listeners because I know you guys are out there. And 100%, 100%. We see you and we appreciate you. Well, and, and you know, the weird thing is I'm a natural skeptic. Like I was fascinated by ghost stories forever, but it wasn't until I lived in my own haunted house that I developed a little more... I guess I could use the word compassion for people. Okay. Um, yep. You know, I think I was 23 and I'd had experiences, but the whole haunted house idea seemed, you know, maybe a little over the top. Although I had lived in a house with weirdness going on. Do you know what I mean? It's the weirdest thing mentally. Oh um, yeah. The total cognitive dissonance. I, yeah, yeah I agree yeah. completely. No, it's a much easier place for me to live in kind of this place of going, okay. <laughs> right. Yep. Sometimes not having shit to just gets it. weird. They're not having to deal with it. Just, oh, okay, this is happening now. All right. 
we considered calling the show, well, this is happening now, but uh, <laughs> our marketing research people said it was a, a little underwhelming. <laughs> or, hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, you're doing your, your spinoff podcast thing, or not spinoff, you're doing a horror movie podcast? Yep. I'm going to do one called, hmm, okay. <laughs> I I will be your producer. I will produce, <laughs> hmm, okay, with fun? Ian Gibbs. Oh my God, that would be so fun. Well, folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> hmm, okay, with Ian Gibbs. Yeah. Our house. Even though I watched a lot of ghost shows and read the books, it was a long time before I came around to the idea of our family's house is haunted. Yeah, see, we were just talking about this. For context, my family are Canadian, but I ended up moving to Poland when I was seven, and we've lived in the same place ever since. It's a grand house, built by my father and grandfather with many windows and lots of room for the antiques we've collected over the years. Oh, old house plus antiques plus family home equals. <laughs> this is going in a good direction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The first thing that ever happened to me in this house took place maybe three weeks after we arrived. I would hear someone walk up the stairs, but never see them. So I assumed it was my imagination. Then days after that, I was watching TV in the family room when the door opened very fast, like someone had ripped it open. But again, no one was there. And instead of banging against the wall, the door very gently slowed before closing itself again. Again, this seems strange, but I didn't dwell on it. Wow, this is a pragmatic individual. <laughs> I should mention that we moved back home to Poland because my mother was very ill and wished to be closer to her family. So you could say I had other things on my mind. Oh, great. Well, now I feel bad. See, you're a bad person. I am a bad bro. Oh, she eventually passed on. Great. So this yep. poor person's, this little seven-year-old's mother is dying and I make fun of them for, okay, great. I'm Ladies sure. and gentlemen, I give you Ian Gibbs, son of a bitch. Unmasked. Yeah, right. <laughs> See behind the curtain. Oh, no, we're not doing that. We still need to have a show. <laughs> oh, good, because I don't have any pants on. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I can tell. <laughs> Everything just seems ballsier. <laughs> okay, move on. <laughs> I still got to eat dinner yet. Yeah, good point. I'm having pork. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. <laughs> For a long time afterward, my only experiences were low-key in this way. Until a night in my teens when I came home after a night out with friends. We hadn't been rowdy, drinking only two beers in a nearby bar while watching the football game. And when I came home, I was stone sober. I distinctly recall taking a shower before getting into bed. My next memory is of waking up at some point in the night to see a shadow in the shape of a man approaching my bed. He was large, and his hands were held up in such a way I thought he was going to choke me. I was frightened beyond reason, so much so that I couldn't even scream. It was only sheer instinct that allowed me to pull the blanket over my head, and after that I waited. The man never came. Finally, I'd waited so long I decided it must be safe, and sure enough, when I pulled the blanket back down, I was alone. I slept with the lights on after that. When my wife Magda and I married, it was decided the family home was large enough to accommodate us as well as my father, and we moved in. It was her who finally clued me into the possibility that everything I'd experienced meant my house was haunted, as opposed to creaky and full of bad dreams. Magda told me she'd gone outside to feed the dogs, and when she came back in, every single window in the house had been opened. No one else had been home at the time. The most recent incident occurred six months ago. Coincidentally, we were watching a ghost show at the time, one of these cheesy American ones, when a smashing sound came from the other room. We all froze, and it took a good ten minutes before we worked up the nerve to investigate it. It turns out that the mirror in the main bathroom had exploded off the wall. 
I don't know what it means, if anything, but I think this house has more in store for us. It means sell your house and move. Time to go. Once the mirrors start exploding. <laughs> Man. I remember when I was researching my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere. Fine books are sold. Buy the audiobook. <laughs> Andians, I guess. Yeah, I'm the more superior one. Yeah. I mean, in as much as I read it more recently. <laughs> more superior in terms of the narrator's better in mind. Yeah, yeah, that's there it. You go, was, there you there go. go. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. I had to be. <laughs> Just to get through that garbage. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> you understand. But uh, I talked to these people who um, work in a local gym, and they, they kind of felt like something was going on there. And one of the things they specifically mentioned was one of the giant mirrors just popping off the wall. Yeah, that's not good. And, and mirrors being like a portal. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that, of oh, course. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with that at all. I mean, part of me thinks, well, you know, you, if this thing is kind of up there using a sort of tension. Eventually, they're going to come off the wall. Right. But, you know, I, I suppose if you're feeling something... And then, you know, the mirror pops off the wall. Then, you know, it, it's an indication that at least, you know, don't stand too close to the mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> the Rider on the Hill. My only experience with the other side came when I was a girl, living under the Nazi occupation of Poland during the Second World War. My brother Victor and I had to attend a German school. And while we didn't like it, we had no choice. In those days, you did what you were told. Even though we were not Jewish, we knew of the pogroms which had happened in places like Tychusin and Lviv, and feared such a thing could happen to us if we resisted. So, to school we went. We lived in the country, and walked through a large, beautiful forest on the way there and back, and it was those moments of peace which I think helped us survive the oppression we lived under. Nevertheless, one day we were returning home from school when Victor pointed out a mounted Polish soldier in the distance, atop a small rise. The man stood high in the saddle, unremarkable save for a visible scar on his forehead. As far as we knew, all of the Polish soldiers had either been killed or interned, so we were surprised to see this man, but it was a pleasant, reassuring surprise. We desperately wanted to wave to him, but we were afraid to be seen by passing Germans and shot on the spot, so we simply stared. The soldier stared back for a time, then urged his horse back down the far side of the hill. We kept on with our walk, telling no one what we'd seen. Weeks later, we saw the mounted soldier again, and that's when I noticed something truly unusual about him. He wasn't quite there. If you looked closely, you saw that while the head of his horse was visible, the legs simply trailed off into nothing, and the man himself was very slightly see-through. Victor and I were both frightened and ran home to tell our mother, who was just as surprised as we were. My mother asked us to describe the man, and we did, but it wasn't until I mentioned the scar that something shifted in her eyes. They became wet, and her voice thickened. She rose and went into the kitchen, returning a moment later with a photograph neither of us had seen before. It was of the rider on the hill, and we were quite excited that the mystery had at least been partially solved. Mother didn't share our excitement, though. Rather, she began to cry, and it was a long time before she could answer why. The rider, she said, was her brother, a soldier who had been killed during the invasion. We had never met him, but somehow he had appeared to us. For many years, I believed that to have been the end of the experience, but then sometime in the 1980s, Victor told me he had seen the rider three more times during the war, once even getting so close as to attempt communication. The rider never responded, of course, and eventually stopped appearing entirely. Sometimes I wonder if he was looking after us, trying in death to bring us a security he could not in life. 
See, this goes back to the me being unable to say anything smartassy about this, Ian. Yeah, no, th- no. <laughs> There's nothing you can you can do with that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> truly, though, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to live under that, to live in this in this world where if you are seen waving to the wrong person, that's your life. Have you seen the movie Labyrinth? The, no. Not the one with David Bowie. Oh, okay, okay. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, I have. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Oh yeah, it's 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 that an intense an movie. Impressive movie. Yes. I think it's brilliant. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen, but I don't think I could watch it a whole lot. I've seen it the once and that was good. I, again, I think it's magnificent, but it was it was not a pleasant experience. My friend and I went to the movie theater thinking it was going to be like a Muppets thing. Oh. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. We honestly <laughs> we honestly thought it was like a kids movie. <laughs> and at the end of it, we just both sat there stunned, right? We held each other for a while. <laughs> and uh, as we're leaving, he's so funny. As we're leaving, big crowd of people around us, he's like, you know, I'm kind of feeling like that was a little bit political. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit preachy. Oh, my God. So funny. But no, that was a whew, that was a good movie. That reminds me of the time I took Nick to see Prometheus. And for some reason, she thought we were going to see the Avengers. Oh, no. That would and, be very confusing. And disappointing, because when you realize after an hour that Iron Man's not coming, <laughs> these idiots are just going to die alone in space. Uh, you're Pretty going to much. be very dispirited. Yes, it would be a hard one to swallow. Yeah, we neither of us have ever really gotten over that. No. Cold pause. When I was a child, my father's work involved a great deal of traveling. We lived all over the world, and I was exposed to many different ways of life. As an adult, I've appreciated the benefits of that upbringing, but at the time, it was difficult. Some itinerant children are good at making friends no matter where they go. They can build around themselves a social group that sustains them during their eight months in Macau or two years in Berlin. I was not one of those children and spent much of my time alone. It was never easy. So when we arrived in Dansk, Poland, our rented home only 30 minutes away from my grandparents in Dansk, I felt relieved. That's before Cold Paws found me. My father's job paid well, so the home we rented was large, almost embarrassingly so. But my grandparents visited often, and we did our best to fill the space with love. We didn't know that something else had arrived before us. The first time I realized something was wrong with the house was the night both my parents were away, and my grandparents were staying over. I'd been asleep for an hour, maybe two, when I woke to find my great-grandmother, who I called Babka, sitting at the end of my bed staring at something only she could see. Babka was alive, so my first thought was not ghost, but I did wonder how an invalid woman who could not climb stairs was suddenly silently sitting by my feet. I whispered to her, Babka, are you all right? She didn't respond. It was like she hadn't even heard me. Her silence unnerved me more than her sudden appearance, and I pulled the covers over my head. When I again had the courage to look, she was gone. The next morning at breakfast, I brought it up to my grandmother. Busha, I said. Busha is an Americanized way of saying grandmother in Polish. Babka also means grandmother, but we used it only to refer to my great-grandmother. Is Babka still here? She gave me a look and said Babka was at home because she was infirm and couldn't travel. She was here, I said. I woke up and she was sitting on my bed, except she wouldn't look at me or answer me. At that, Busha looked nervous and tried to laugh it off, but I could tell something was wrong. I never got an explanation. Cold pause was another thing entirely, and that was much worse. 
because it touched me. It began on another night when my parents were out of town and my grandparents were taking care of me. I heard what sounded like paws on the hardwood floor outside my bedroom. We had no pets, so it was particularly out of place. Then the sound was in my room. At this point, I was laying on my chest and I froze in place, not knowing what to do. The padding of the paws stopped just short of my bed, and I had almost convinced myself that it was over when something touched my back. To this day, I can't say exactly what it was, but it was ice cold and slowly dragged itself down my spine. Its point made, cold paws, whatever it was, slowly trotted back out into the hallway, and I descended into a dreamless sleep. And a lifetime of therapy. Wow. Why do you think your son began killing cats? (laughs) Well, let me tell you a story about cold paws. (laughs) Yeah. I just, of course, there is no excuse to kill cats. And uh, I think about punching out anyone who looks at my cat crosswise. Yeah. Well, my cat can be annoying, but I still love him to death. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, cats are like kids. They're a pain in your ass, but you love them. Yeah. He he spent the morning attacking everyone, I think, because it was sunny out. So he right. was in a good mood. So he launched himself at anyone who came near him and <laughs> those who did not. <laughs> this is a peculiar way to show excitement. Although I do the same thing. I'm happiest when I'm complaining. So Yeah, well, I would literally hear, front door open, God damn it, get off me. <laughs> uh, probably around seven or eight times today. The man with a covered face. My parents' house has always had something off about it. It's almost a century old, and in Poland that can mean a whole lot of history has passed through a place. That said, I don't know if what happens there is related to the history, the place itself, or something else. I do know it first manifested to me when my sister and I were children. It began with sounds. Bangs, knocks, footsteps, the sound of doors opening and closing when there was no one around to do it. Sometimes a door would shake, as if someone were trying to open it, and once I even heard something whisper my name. These would turn out to be minor occurrences, however, preludes to the arrival of the man with a covered face. Some years ago, I had spent part of my summer living with cousins in Orlando, Florida. It was hot, almost too hot, but I quickly got used to it, and by the time I was scheduled to return home, returning to a coming Polish winter wasn't exactly something I was looking forward to. Nonetheless, I made the trip. Between the 18 hours of flights and ground travel time, it took almost two days to arrive home just outside of Krakow and you can imagine how little sleep I got during all that. Even once I'd arrived home, there was unpacking to be done, and so by the time darkness fell, I was more than ready for bed. I ascended the spiral staircase and walked through the small storage room that functioned as a kind of entryway to my bedroom. The room was connected to my bedroom not only by the door, but a window at the far end of the room. Exhausted, I collapsed onto my bed into a dreamless sleep. I was not to stay there long. At some point in the night, I don't know exactly when, I awoke, my heart pounding in my chest. Staring at me from the window separating my room and the next, illuminated by dim light from outside, was a man, or what appeared to be one. He was tall, dressed in a dark blue or black suit, but he didn't have a head. Atop his shoulders, where his head and neck should be, was what looked like a bundle of stiff, vertically creased grayish fabric. Panic immediately overtook me. The fatigue I felt meant I was already at a low, and this impossible intruder was the final straw. I screamed and kept screaming. In my mania, the only hope I felt I had was to get out of my room and through the storage before the horrible creature could block my exit. I got to my feet, closed my eyes, and ran for the square of light beyond the two doorways. 
At one point, I believe I may have collided with the creature or where it had been because I ran through something which I can only describe as feeling like cold spider webs. I'll never forget that feeling of unnaturally cool filament winding across my exposed skin. Somehow I made it to the stairs without running headlong into a wall, and from there I double-timed it down so I could wake up my brother. He didn't believe me, but agreed to accompany me back to my room to investigate. Of course, whoever or whatever it was I had seen was gone. It took me weeks to be able to sleep in my own room again. So this one really jumped out at me because we have an entire episode of this show called The Creatures with Covered Faces. Right. And so that is really, really interesting. Because yeah, no, I don't that sounds a little too scary for me. No shit. <laughs> I feel like the story we were told, I don't think it's from Poland. I think I'd remember that. I believe it was a listener story. I'm not 100%. Mm. But uh, if any of our listeners have other experiences with something like this, where you, you, you expect to see a face and don't. Well, and actually colliding with the creature. Oh. Oh. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting they said that because I've always wondered about this notion of filament, you know, or spiderweb. Because right. I have walked through wide open fields. Yeah. And then felt what appears to be a goddamn spiderweb on me. Right. And how the fuck does that happen when you're in a completely flat plane? I mean, unless you've got paratrooper spiders who are just waiting in tiny little RC airplanes to mess with me. That's the next thing in 2020. Don't even. Don't even. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it, yeah. they just... There can't have been face-level spiderwebs there. No. And I always wonder, what, what is that? You know, and I've definitely heard that in connection to paranormal phenomena, but not really, not recently, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if anyone else out there, if you have an experience with, again, creatures with covered faces or, or filament, I would really, really be curious to hear them. It's pretty interesting, yeah. I got to say, too, one of the, the great problems these people are having, and it's a very simple solution, is stop living in such big goddamn houses. There you go. I mean, sure, my, my little two-bedroom apartment, you know, sometimes we have things move through, but I just feel like there are fewer places to hide. Like, when I wake up in the night <laughs> hunting through my apartment in my underpants trying to find intruders, you know, because I've heard a stray noise, generally, it doesn't take very long. They can only no. be in one of a handful of places. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But if you're living in Uncle, in Uncle Christoph's mansion on the hill, there's a thousand dark corners where a thousand different serial killers could be lurking. Well, and it's going to take you at least a week just to get through the servants' quarters. Yeah, exactly. That's just a recipe for disaster right there. Keep it small, folks. <laughs> it's hard to haunt a bachelor apartment. <laughs> Remember to forget. Though we no longer have the amount we once did, something like 30% of Poland is still covered by forest. In the Busky province, which is where I've spent my entire life, that rises to 50%. We Polish believe the country cannot survive without the forests and that those forests hide mysteries we may never fully understand. Certainly this is true of the forests of my home, which share a border with eastern Germany and bear the collective weight, both physical and psychic, of the collective brutality that took place under their canopy. It was in that environment among those ghosts we found the bunker one hot, restless summer. There were four of us, myself, my boyfriend Peter, my friend Kalina, and her boyfriend Tomas, in Peter's car headed out into the woods so the boys could shoot their air rifles at cans. Oh, boys. Ownership of pneumatic weapons was not allowed in Poland until 2001, and while I did not care for them, the boys were responsible in their handling of them, so I agreed to come on the trip. We found our way through the forest, the roads becoming more and more narrow, 
until we found a small concrete hilltop bunker, obviously left over from the war. The boys decided this was the ideal place from which to shoot, so we parked, the boys fetched their rifles, and we walked up the rise. From there, Peter and Tomas set up their cans, climbed up the bunker, and began to shoot. The concrete was cool despite the heat, so Kalina and I lit up cigarettes and leaned against it, looking out over the hillside. It was a normal day and a normal summer, and none of us was prepared for what was to come. When the boys got bored, they climbed down and we all headed back towards the car. Now please understand, we'd never gone very far away from the car, maybe 10 meters. But as we approached it, we saw that somehow, without us hearing or seeing, bricks had been piled up against each wheel as high as the chassis. There is no way they could have been there when we arrived. It was like a wall had been growing around it while our backs were turned. We thought someone intended to rob us. What else could it be? So the boys brandished their rifles, but we didn't hear a sound, and no one came forward. We stood there in frozen silence until Kalina broke for the car and jumped inside. We all followed, locking the doors as Peter started the engine and put his foot down on the accelerator. The car's engine whined, but we did not move. The bricks were mobilizing us. Peter turned off the ignition and said we had to displace the stones if we were to move again. So Tomas, who was often as crazy as he was brave, took a deep breath, opened his door, and jumped out. He began kicking at the stone piles, the dull thumping sound louder than it should have been in the peculiar quiet. Eventually, he shouted to Peter to try again, but the engine would not start. We were truly stuck. Thankfully, Kalina had a cell phone and was able to reach her brother, whose friend Jacob had a truck big enough to tow us back home. I don't recall how long it took him to get us, but as we sat there beneath the trees, it felt like a lifetime. Eventually, the cell phone rang. It was Jacob, and he had a curious question. He needed directions to get to us, because though he could see us on the hill, he couldn't find the road that led to the car. It was while we were trying to explain our location that the screaming began. Kalina had the phone to her ear, but even so, we could all hear Jacob's frantic voice. He said something had come out of the woods and was running toward us at top speed. We couldn't see anything, but Jacob was beside himself. He sounded out of his mind with fear, and then the connection went dead. We believed something terrible must have happened to him, but later learned that, no, he just panicked and left us there. <laughs> A man after my own heart. Excellent. Way to count on family. There was no time to think about it, though, because we were panicking ourselves. What had frightened him so much? The eerie silence still hung over everything, but visually the coast was clear. Then there was a hard knock on the rear passenger side window, the side face in the forest. Everyone screamed. Now tearful, Kalina called her mother and begged her to come and get them. Nothing happened in the 30 minutes it took her to arrive, and nothing has since. But that experience on the hill changed us, especially the boys. I think being powerless and afraid was a difficult experience for them. And though they are now grown men, they are much quieter than they once were. One final note. Several years ago, I ran into Jacob in the street and we spoke. Eventually, I worked my way around asking what had happened that day. And first he looked surprised and then embarrassed and finally uneasy. I can't explain it, he said. But I saw something and I just couldn't stay. I pressed him on exactly what he'd seen and his face darkened. That's just it. I don't know. I was too far away to make out any details, but it was a dark blue or black thing, and first I thought it was a bear, but it couldn't have been, not there. We have very few bears in Poland, and what we do have are in the Carpathian Mountains to the south. 
But then it changed while it was running. It started out as one thing, but then became another. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk about it anymore. That was the end of the conversation. Kalina, Tomas, Peter, and I still stay in touch. But what's interesting is that none of them remember the day very well, and when pressed, prefer not to talk about it. Something on that hill wanted us gone, and once gone, preferred we remember only that we should forget. Bartosh. This will be our last story for tonight. When my great-grandfather was young and real estate was cheap, he bought an apartment building in Warsaw, and though everything changed after nationalization, it came to be his again many years later, and that's where I grew up. I was a lonely boy. My brother was more of a sports person, my dad was not very kind, and my mother was a business owner who had to spend most of her time at the shop, so I got good at keeping my own company. I had a babysitter, but she also did her own thing and left me to my devices. Thankfully, I at least had Lego and spent hours alone in my room building things. Then Bartosh started coming to visit. Bartosh was a boy about my age, but even more reserved. He never really spoke, and to be perfectly honest, I don't even remember how I came to know his name. But he would sit opposite from me on the floor, across my pile of Lego, and we'd build things together. His silence was never a problem, nor was the fact that he was dressed strangely. I couldn't tell you what was strange about it anymore, just that it was different from what everyone else I knew wore. Still, he was company, and I enjoyed having a companion. No one ever asked me about him, so I never brought him up, and we went on this way for two years. At the end of that two years, our apartment flooded, and we were moved to another unit. Bartosz never visited there. When I was 16, I took an interest in business and began having conversations with my grandfather, who is now owner of the building, or at least part of it. The ownership structure had become complicated over the years, and this is what my grandfather was explaining to me. He went to the old filing cabinet at the far end of his office and pulled out an old file folder full of documents and pictures to show me. To my surprise and delight, in one of the family photos I spied Bartosz. I told my grandfather I knew the boy, or had known him when I was little, and asked where he was now. Grandfather looked at me strangely, and asked how I had known him. I explained his name was Bartosz, and that when I was lonely as a boy he would come and play with me. Grandfather nodded gently, and said that his name was Bartosz, but I couldn't have played with him. Bartosz and his family were Jews, he explained, executed during the pogroms which followed the Nazis invading Poland. He pointed out the tiny Star of David on Bartosz's chest. Good people, he said, killed for no reason. Somehow I'd been playing with a dead child. After that conversation, we both sat down with my mother, and they explained that this sort of thing is not uncommon in our family. I wish I had known that before, but maybe then he wouldn't have come. Whatever the case, he came to me when I needed him. And I hope wherever he is now, he is at peace. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, it was great to finally go back into the slack that Luke has spent all that time building mm -hmm. uh, because we, we keep all our stories that he finds. We have a very, very um, well-organized Slack channel mm -hmm. or series of Slack channels. And uh, it was great to go back in there and realize there's a ton of goddamn material in there. 
So I'm, I'm hoping we'll have uh, more of these original episodes coming because I, I do love doing the listener stories. Absolutely. And we'll, you know, we will, we'll talk about that in a sec, but, um, it felt good to, uh, to be writing again. Good. I'm glad. All right. Next up, patron shout outs. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Ann Cooper, Marianne, Hannah Bernana, Tammy Coville, Haley Pearson Cox, Nishi Serrano, Joey, Jennifer McAlpin, Kate Lutz, Lauren, T. Stallard, Margaret Bernard, Joseph Camo. Thank you so, so much, everyone. Again, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. You are the wind beneath our awful wings. <laughs> our leathery, featherless wings. Exactly. And we couldn't do it without you guys. You make the show possible, you pay our expenses, and you, you allow me uh, a living. And that is, that's incredible. Like, throughout this pandemic, uh, you know, I've had to worry much, much less about money and survival, thanks to you guys. And... That just, yeah, I can't tell you how, how much that means to, to both of us. So thank you so, so much. And if you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels, and you get all kinds of cool stuff. There are digital rewards from our monthly live shows at the, for $10 patrons and up to bonus episodes, Cabin Fever, which is a monthly check-in where me and I, where Ian and I just shoot the shit about all the stuff going on in our lives that doesn't fit into the main show anymore. There are periodic little digital rewards, like uh, in October, I put together a little 10-minute audio drama uh, based on some old blog posts of mine, and I'll probably be following that up again this month, so you get, you'll get part two. And uh, yeah, so th- there's that and a whole bunch more. And then there's also physical rewards like stickers, magnets, art cards of my net photography, and of course, Ian's smash hit Christian country album, Aware <laughs> of Wonder. You don't actually get a physical copy of that. Those are high quality digital downloads, but I, I like finishing with it. So, you know, it just, you, you got a deal. Yeah. But yeah, but, uh, yeah that's obviously the high point of the Patreon. <laughs> oh, that's very disappointing, man. <laughs> <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> but you can find all of that at patreon.com slash guys. And if you want to send a one-time donation, you totally can. If you're not comfortable with Patreon or you just don't think that you'll be able to support on a monthly basis, you can absolutely send a one-time, a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash ghoststoryguys or just by sending it to our email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And this time around, we'd like to thank Aaron Wells, who sent us something via PayPal. Uh, Aaron, thank you so, so much. Also, Aaron actually sent me a print of one of her paintings, and I just love it. I, oh, I actually, very cool. Yeah, it, I'd commented on, commented on it on Instagram when I saw it months and months ago, like back when she was kind of doing the preliminary sketch. Right. And uh, yeah, when it was finished, she said, well, you know, I'd love to send you a print. And she did. And it's very cool. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's based on the work of Ray Bradbury. Uh, right. She has a few things like that. And I was a big Ray Bradbury fan. Yeah, of the yeah, kid. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, if you want to check out her stuff, she's on Instagram as E.S. Wells Artist. And that's probably the best place to see her stuff. And again, that's Erin S. Wells. She's on Instagram as E.S. Wells Artist. So check her out. And thank you again, Erin. If you want to get in touch, you want to send us a story or a comment, question, or gentle criticism, you can send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys. Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys. And we have a pretty banging Instagram account at instagram.com. Slash the ghost story guys. But if you want to send us a story, email is still the best way to do it. Uh, if you send it via DM, there's a very good chance it'll get lost. 
But if you don't feel like typing, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. Thanks again to our listener Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle. Again, that's one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. That's toll free anywhere in North America. And you can just leave us your story or your comment as one or a series of voicemails. It times out after three minutes, but feel free to call back as much as you like. And we play those calls on our mini shows, which we release every week. Or I should say every week opposite this show. So one week is a main show, the next week is a mini show. And that is when we share the ghost line calls. If you're international, but you still want to send us in something to be played on the show, you totally can. You don't have to call the ghost line. Just use the voice app on your phone and email it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com with the subject heading Ghostline. Finally, if you don't want to call, you don't feel like talking, you just want to text, you can also do that. We're at 925-553-4789. Send us pictures, links, whatever you like, and we will read those messages as well on the mini-shows. Those numbers again are one 888 6920 and 925-553-4789. The second number, the text number, that is a U.S. number. So if you are outside the U.S., you may face international texting charges depending on your carrier. Just a heads up on that. I love playing those ghost line calls. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they are very interesting. Yeah, we had some great stories on the most recent one and, and some really lovely messages we get too, which I, I always I, I put in the show because you guys took the time to call us, but I always feel a little awkward. It always feels a little self-congratulatory. But anyways, again, we, we look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget to check out our spot on the Booze and Bourbon podcast. You can get that anywhere you get your shows. And we had a ton of fun talking to Kim and Jen. We always like chatting to those guys. They had us chatting about the Fey Folk. And um, we were respectful and things went okay. Yeah, and Uh, I'm not talking anymore about it. No, but it was fun chatting to them. (laughs) If you want to find any of our other past interviews, head to ghoststoryguys.com and we have links to almost everything, at least recently, there. Just scroll down through the list of posts and there are links to my recent interview with the Capital Daily podcast, Ian's interview on CKNW, and uh, pretty much anywhere else we've turned up, you'll find a link there. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our website, again, ghoststoryguys.com. There you'll find links to our Public and Redbubble stores. From there, you can order any number of crazy things. We've got t-shirts, mugs, stickers, magnets, all that good stuff. You'll also find a link there to our Big Cartel store, and that's where you buy things like signed copies of our books, or Steve the Cheese Demon stickers, photo cards of my night photography. We're actually just restocking that store. We're almost out of, we're almost out of a lot of stuff. So we're, that's uh, good. Yeah, it's great. So we're restocking that. And again, that's ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com or follow the links at ghoststoryguys.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show. We do appreciate that. And you can do that anywhere. You can leave a podcast review. I know most people do it on iTunes, which we very much appreciate. But if there is somewhere else you can review a podcast, we would appreciate you doing that. Helps bump our visibility and bring more people to the show. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you stream your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them, of course, by looking for Hexagram everywhere you stream your music. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And if you look on the Ghost Story Guys YouTube channel or Instagram, I recently cut together a clip video for Hexagram for their latest track, One Good Scare. And so if you've ever thought to yourself, 
I want to see Ultraman fight the demon from Fantasia while guitars wail in the background. My friends, <laughs> I have the video for you. All of the music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for podsafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. And I guess that's going to do it. I think so. We'll be back next week with our mini show, and until then, into the darkness we go. Too expensive, man. I, you know. <laughs> I mean, demand is high. There's surge pricing. It's it's like Uber. <laughs> yeah, you can't leave that in. No, I know. <laughs> I don't like that that deferential. Oh, sir, let me go get this for you, sir. I think because I, my people are servants, right. and so I don't I don't like that. And, oh, see, uh, being British, I took to it like a duck to water. Of course. Where's that man who brings me my towel? Where is he? Okay, I got to read that differently. Yes. Well, that's being taken out of the show. <laughs> I can, however, not take it out of my brain. No, and that's the point. <laughs>